Hello, it's Beth Kempton, author of Freedom Seeker and founder of Do What You Love. Welcome to the Freedom Seeker Chronicles. If you're new here, you can find out more about me and my work at bethkempton.com. The Freedom Seeker Chronicles is a place for brave stories, real inspiration, actionable advice, and great conversations. So many of us build lives that end up trapping us, chasing the kind of success that doesn't actually make us happy, until one day we eventually realize that enough is enough. We want to do things our way. We want to manifest our own happiness. We want to escape, make our own rules, and fly free. Because deep down we know it's in flying free that we fulfill our true potential and we really come alive. The Freedom Seeker Chronicles podcast is a regular dose of escape elixir to reignite that desire and light the way. I define freedom as the willingness and ability to choose your path and live life as your true self. In this podcast, the stories will inspire that willingness. And in my book, Freedom Seeker, you'll find all the tools you need for that ability. The rest is up to you. If you haven't yet read my book, you can get it from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all good independent bookstores. It's the perfect companion to this podcast. And if you've read it and you're here for more inspiring stories, welcome friend, you're in for a treat. So let's dive in. Today's guest is a force of nature and a force for good. Together with her sister Amy, she co-founded Hisby, an ethical supermarket in Brighton, here in the UK. Hisby stands for how it should be, and she's a firm believer in not accepting the status quo just because it's the status quo. She's a rule breaker of the very best kind, and she's a conscious entrepreneur with an inspiring story. She is Ruth Anslow, and I'm so happy to have her on the show today. Hi, Ruth. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Beth. Good to be here. I have so many things I want to talk to you about, but let's just kick off with you telling us a bit about Hisby because um, it, I, what is different about your supermarket and why does it matter so much to you? Why it matters to us is that um, we think it's time that supermarkets got reinvented. So it, it, it the way supermarkets do business now on has a bit of a knock-on effect for society you know there's a there's really poor quality food out there there's there's um mistreatment of workers and farmers in the supply chain there's a negative impact on communities and high streets there's um there's a lot of kind of fallout from their um them pursuing a, a profit model a profit first model so we we had the idea of reinventing supermarkets because we want to help transform the food industry and make good food, affordable and accessible for everyone. So it seemed like a sensible idea. It's a great idea. I'm, I'm fascinated because, you know, a lot of us complain about things in society and, you know, there's certain things that we wish were done a different way, but we often don't actually do anything about it. But you have gone to the real extreme by dedicating your life to this mission. What do you think it is that's made you go that extra mile with this particular issue? Um, I just think it's... I just think the way it is isn't good enough. Like I look at look at how it is, and I think that 
it's only that way. The food industry is only that way because people made it that way. And supermarkets are only that way because people made them that way. And because um, people keep them that way. So, you know, I can make them another way. And um, it's a very simple concept to me that everything is just created the way it is because somebody did it that way. And so you can quite, you can easily do it another way. doesn't mean it's simple, but it's um, an easy concept. It is. And you've obviously picked supermarkets, but that's true in anything. Just because something's done the way it's done doesn't mean that's the way it has to be done. Um, and his B obviously stands for how it should be. How should it be, in your opinion? Ah, good question. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, um, how it should be is good food. Great food should be accessible and affordable for everyone. And the food system should be um, ethical and sustainable for future generations. And at the moment, there's a lot about the food industry that isn't sustainable, that's creating harm for people and planet. And I look at it and I just think it's nuts. And it's only created that way um, because it's created to make money, maximise profit. So um, if it's not existing only for profit, but it has a social mission as well, you can do things very, very differently. So the way it should be is that great food should be accessible and affordable for everyone and normal. Um, Whereas I think nowadays bad food is normal. Mm. It's become the norm. Yeah. So how how has it been, like, you know, standing up to everything that is and the power of the big supermarkets and trying to fight your corner in a very, very public way, you know, with a brick and mortar store and, you know, a very clear mission. How has that been for you? Well, at first it's very lonely. So I mean, I'm lucky enough to do it with my sister and we, you know, always been in it together. But at the beginning, it's lonely because when you go around saying things like, oh, I'm going to reinvent supermarkets for the 21st century. It's time for a change. It's not good enough. I used to negotiate with Tesco. I know what goes on in the industry. And I'm, I'm, I'm reinventing supermarkets. People think you're mad. <laughs> Even though to us it was just the most logical thing in the world. I think, I think people are a bit nuts for not doing anything about it. So, yeah, at first it's lonely because a lot of people just think you're nuts and um, that it can't be done just because it's not how it is. Um, so, yeah, and then slowly and surely you just get the vision out there and you start to connect with the people that do see do see a way because people can either people people either get stuck on what's in front of them and they you know that that they call that realism that's reality that's how it is and they think that's all there is or they can see beyond that I've never had that problem I've always been able to see beyond that and that other things are possible so um yeah at first it's lonely because everyone thinks you're nuts and they laugh at you and then um you create something and people start to see what's possible and you can raise the bar on what is possible. And I see it all over the place. I see so many examples of it. We've got a, you know, we've got a company in Brighton um, that's a fleet of buses that run on um, old cooking oil. And it's, you know, a pioneering leading edge energy business and transport business. And But it started with two blokes in a pub and they bought the first bus with their credit card and everyone thought they were mad. You know, it's it's the same. I see the seeds of it everywhere. But yeah, it starts off lonely and then it gets exciting because more and more people um, connect with what you're doing and get interested. And we, we kind of created a big group of interested people, a kind of crowd before we started. And that's what propelled us. That's so interesting. So it started off with you, but very, very early on, 
before you actually sold anything, you built a community. Is that right? Yeah. So we knew that, you know, um, when you take on a store, you take on commercial property, it's a big financial commitment. You know, you're signing a lease for 15 years and you are personally liable for that lease. And it's a big deal. So you can't we, we couldn't just open a shop out of nowhere without any following because we needed customers to come in from day one so we spent we actually spent two years building a brand before we even started looking for premises and we we started a blog we started social media um and we started connecting with blogging about and sharing content from people that that we were interested in so everyone from the fair trade foundation to the soil association to local community and trader groups and all kinds of national um, and local bodies that are interested in making food, the food industry better. And there are so many people out there doing that. So we connect up with them all. And through those connections, we created, um, we found um, our investors and we created a voice online and we kind of attracted a big crowd of people who were just interested in seeing a different kind of supermarket. There must be a real confidence that comes from that because I know it's it's very easy when you start out and you feel alone and you feel like you're the only one trying to do this and that's really intimidating. But actually when you start to look and especially with, you know, social media these days which fires more of the same at you thanks to all the algorithms and everything, is once you start looking, it's it's amazing actually how you can find people who do believe in what you what you believe in, whatever that is, however niche that is, right? Exactly. And it's really important if you've got an idea to get it out there before it's cooked. Like, I mean, we just had the name, we had an idea of the colour and the brand, some bits of the branding, and we knew what we wanted to say. And we got a website, we got a blog up there just saying we want to do this. And um, it's we're launching a different kind of supermarket. We don't know how yet. Um, and we just started talking and connecting with people. So it's a, bit, it's a bit like building a lighthouse. You build your lighthouse, which is your vision, and that's your your face in our case our website and our blog and then you switch the beam on you just get it out you get the beam out as far as possible and then you'll find that people get attracted to the beam and come and help you so we got all the help we needed from loads of different people um hundreds of people through through this um through building the brand and the voice before we found the shop that's amazing i mean the dream itself is really bold but it's almost it feels almost like the bravest thing is saying i want to do this and i don't know how and actually saying that really publicly, because yeah. we don't tend to do that, do we? No, we don't. And we still don't know how we're going to make it a national chain over the next 30 years. We don't know how we're going to expand it to other cities. I mean, we've got ideas and we're doing things every day that we don't know how to do. I, I tell you, I haven't been in my comfort zone for about 10 years. But, you know, it's like there is no, there is no, there is no surety. We, there is no knowing exactly how everything will work. You only need to know. I only need to know what will be. I know what will be, but I don't always know how to get there. Is is there any comfort in being in the place that you know is outside your comfort zone just because you've been there so many times before, even if you don't know what's going on? Yeah, yeah, I've I've got I've got used to it, and I yeah I do thrive on it. I I couldn't be. Uh, I have been in jobs and situations before where I know um, everything, and and I find that quite boring. So yeah, <laughs> I suppose I wouldn't. I, I, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work for me any other way, I guess, which is why I've created this life and this job. Where do you think that that real skill for dreaming big and going for it anyway comes from? Um, it comes from 
as long as I can remember. I mean, being a kid, I we you know we had a, a difficult, quite a difficult situation growing up, and I always I always had in my head that I was going to get out of it, and that I decided when I was twelve that I was going to be a businesswoman and have loads of money. And it was ridiculous given our background. I mean, we just had nothing. And I, you know, we were, we were going without a lot of basic things. And I decided I'm going to go to university. I'm going to be a businesswoman. And I didn't know what that meant. But um, I, I, I figured it involved driving a nice big car, having great shoes and hair and having loads of money. And that was that was enough. And uh, I fixed that in my head. I fixed that vision of myself and what I was going to do in my head when I was very young. So I've known for decades that when you when you create a goal and a vision in your head that's very real to you your life pulls you towards it mm. and you start mm. acting towards it and it makes it be so it's really ridiculous the dream I had when I was that age was ridiculous but um I made it happen so what age were you when you got your great shoes oh god that that you know that was uh, pretty much my first pay packet <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I went. I did. Uh, I went to university, and I did international business and French, and and then I joined the Unilever um, graduate sales and marketing program, and I worked with big corporates for fifteen years. So I was work. I I, I was sales and marketing, um, marketing manager and director, and for uh, for big companies, and that was that was it. That's what I would work towards. Um, uh, unfortunately. Um, 10 years in I realized it wasn't making me happy <laughs> which was which was a bummer but yeah that's I, I I I achieved the goal I was set on and and now I have a very different vision of myself for the future um and I live into that I live as if that's reality and that is my reality well even if it didn't make you happy it must have made you proud and then that, like knowing that you did that that you set your goal your sights on something and you made it happen it even but then realizing that Yes, but that's not the end of the story. What's next? Was there a moment that you realised that? Oh, yeah, there was a moment. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was having a whale of a time. I was uh, living as an expat in Barcelona. I had a massive salary. I had a, an apartment. The big There was a big pool and a tennis court. And I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd done it. And But there was a moment where I sat on that balcony in Barcelona and realised that I was just chasing the dreams of an eight-year-old girl. Um, still, and that it wasn't what I wanted. I, I was I was lacking a sense of purpose that was kind of deeper than just having money and um, having the respect that I didn't have when I was a kid. So um, yeah, I, I it wasn't you know it was just a big self awareness moment of thinking shit I've done all this. I'm sorry if I'm not supposed to swear. I'll say that again. <laughs> it was just a, a self awareness moment of going blimey I I actually, this isn't what I'm here for. I'm, I need to do something else. And um, then I had to start again. And I was thinking, okay, what do I want to be? What do I want to do? And I started reading um, and getting out there and seeing what was going on in the world outside the corporate world. Because when you're in that corporate job, it's very, very myopic. You don't see much outside of it. And so I kind of cast the net out and I started reading interesting work and what people were doing. I was reading stuff about from Daniel Pink and futurologists and trends and and this world of social enterprise I was very inspired by Anita Roddick and her pioneering idea of bringing love and values and purpose into business as well as profits. Very fascinated by that. And so I, I decided I was going to be um, 
a social entrepreneur, but I didn't, again, I didn't know how. I didn't know how I was going to go from being a marketing, global marketing manager in a big corporate to a social entrepreneur, but I knew that it was going to happen. Can we just, um, just kind of get, go a bit granular there? Because I think it's really, really interesting for a lot of people who will be listening who are in that position of, you know, life's fine, job's good, money's good, but, but. Um, and understanding what actually like what are the, the actual things you can do so it's really interesting you said like you you were reading um books which are really kind of intelligent thinking books um like daniel pink and, and things like that um and and getting yourself out there but then once you've realized this kind of thing that you've become interested in ha- what what's the time frame there are you still in your job at this point are you um have you quit your job and made some space to to allow yourself to think about this are you still living in spain like what's the kind of order of how things panned out so it was, um, I think my, the big awareness moment happened in 2009 and it was a gen, it was a gentle, slow growth of an idea. I mean, I made the decision that I was going to be, um, I was going to change my life in that moment, but I, I, yeah, I just absorbed things that I was drawn to and interested in. And I had this wall in my office in the flat, which were covered in post-its. So whenever, when I, when I read stuff that, that, that resonated with me I put it on a post-it and put it on the wall and I started to see groups of stuff that I was drawn towards and what mattered to me and I kind of over several months created this collage of thinking and vision on this wall in in my home and um I you know created this idea and then Amy my sister was talking to me about changing her life and so we talked I had loads I had someone to talk about it with so it's all about it's all about immersing yourself in what you actually want and talking about that and, and getting into communication with people about how they did it and what they do. And, and so it was, yeah, it was slow. It was a build up. And then I left the big job in August 2010, by which time Amy and I knew what we were going to do. We were going to start a social enterprise. It was going to be um, about transforming the food industry. And we decided the way to do that was reinvent supermarkets. But again, that was a journey because in um, 2010, we'd started immersing ourselves in this world of ethical consumerism and food and what what was possible in that world and what other people were doing. And we slowly got to the idea of Hisby over um, over several months in 2010. So, yeah, it was um, it was about keeping the idea and the dream of it alive, and then seeing what emerged and um, time to think. Time and space to think was the most important thing. Yeah, and I love that you look for patterns because often I think when we're really struggling for for what it is that we want to do next, we, it doesn't always come to us in in a major aha moment. Like you said, the, the knowing does, but not the actual detail. And so looking for patterns in what you're noticing and what you're reading and what you're drawn to can be really great for that. And what, what I love is that in terms of finding your mission in life, often people... Are look, looking through the lens of what they love to do and that can be really tricky for them if they're not currently doing anything that they love to do because they can't see a connection with that and a future career um but yeah. it, it feels like you kind of look through the lens of what breaks your heart and something that you can do about it and that's an yeah. awesome place that's to go right. from. and then uh, i i think that and yeah most of us are only on the path we're on in our lives because our parents put us on that path or we put ourselves on it when we were very young so you decide very young what you're doing, really, whether it's through GCSEs or, you know, you decide you've got a passion for 
I don't know, numbers because you've, you've seen someone on the telly that you think is great with numbers or, you know, it's just, actually we can reinvent ourselves at any time. It's just that we fall into, we're all creatures of habit and we create the habits and we live according to those habits our whole lives unless we pause and look at it. Um, and we're often just living out what we decided to do when we were kids or what we thought or we decided the world meant or what we decided about ourselves when we were kids. So true. I love that you walk in this path with your sister as well, is it? And you obviously were children together. Was it that um, that something else, something similar was going on for Amy at the same time? Was it that you were like, I've got this great idea, do you want to come and join me? How did that work? Uh, yeah, so Amy was also going through a very different, a change, uh, a transformative period in her life and she she'd been uh she'd not gone to uni she'd been doing um all kinds of jobs but most recently in the public sector and third sector so she'd been she'd worked for the Met police she'd worked for the fire service she'd been working for groundwork which is um the uk's biggest environmental agency she'd worked with uh community projects um with disadvantaged kids so a very different background but She'd been living in Manchester and got just bogged down and unhappy with her life there because there wasn't enough freedom and creativity in it. And it seemed like that was the only way. So she decided to up sticks and move to Brighton. Um, And we talked loads about that and why she was doing it and what she was doing. And this was all at the time where I was thinking I need to change my life. And then she, um, a pivotal moment where she she had to work out how she was going to make money in Brighton. And she decided to take a market stall and sell coffee. And um, the reason she did that was she was looking around for something that she could sell that she cared about. And there was this brand in um, Manchester called Aromo Coffee, which Aromo is a period, um, sorry, um, a province, a region in Ethiopia that makes amazing coffee. And it was a bunch of guys from Aromo had come over to Manchester and were living there and importing um, coffee beans from their friends' farms. And working directly, you know, directly working with them, there was no middleman like there is in the coffee industry, giving them money for that and then roasting it in Manchester. And um, the proceeds of it went back to their um, homes in Ethiopia and was used to send their kids to school in this country. So, you know, that that was our first experience, really, really understanding what a social enterprise was. That's brilliant. Um, and so she, she was selling this coffee on the market stall and I helped her a couple of times. We went to a couple of freezing we had a freezing winter where we were just shivering on a market store handing out coffee um but yeah she we 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 were trying to explain the difference to people between fair trade coffee and direct trade and that by buying this coffee the money goes straight to the farmer's pockets and and this is what they do with the proceeds and that got us thinking about all the products we buy and what happens to the money that we spend when we buy these products and food is the most obvious one. It's like there's so much that goes on in the food industry and every pound you spend is a vote for more of the same. Mm. So, you know, if you go, you know, if you go to Asda and you're buying your sausages and they're, you know, 36% meat and the meats come from 24 different animals from all over Europe, that is a vote for more of the same. And there's not a lot of nutrition in that sausage. Mm. Um, so, you know, you can vote for that or you can vote for something else. Yeah. Uh, but our, 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 I knew from my previous job, my commercial jobs, that that our, our, the way we spend our money has a huge impact on the strategies of retailers and producers, and that you know we, we we've got this consumer power. Most of us don't even realise it, but um, we can tip markets and we can create new trends and we can create opportunities 
uh, consumer-led opportunities for other people to follow. So, yeah, we got talking about all this stuff and what did we really care about and what what could we what could be our purpose? And Amy was really interested in this idea of having her own business, starting something from scratch, something that was all ours, something that we could create together. And um, I was just passionate about this idea of being like Anita Roddick, you know, showing <laughs> that you can make you can make a business that does good as well as make money. And um, and so yeah, that was that was the seeds of it. And then you know we we, we just created this thing together over time. It's, it's so interesting. I love that you've referenced Anita Roddick. She was one of my absolute heroes when I was a teenager. And they, when she set up the body shop, and I remember um, not that long ago seeing a press release that the um, body shop, which has obviously since been bought by, I think it's L'Oreal, right, um, closed down their foundation. And I was just heartbroken. I was like, that's it. That's her vision gone. Um, and it's so it's so interesting how one person can make the difference Um, yeah absolutely and actually the thing with Anita that's interesting is her husband Gordon she was the one with the vision and the dream but Gordon really uh, made it happen he did all the practical stuff and channeled it and enabled it and we we had been thinking about Anita and modeling a lot of her stuff and using her as inspiration for years and then Gordon actually contacted us in 2013 and ended up putting money into our business so he's yeah, he's now a mentor. He's one of our mentors, and he's been amazing with us. And him and his um, right-hand man, Peter Tyson, they, they support his being. They give us lots of advice. And, and so that was, again, that was just, just something that we had passionately given energy to, was this idea that we could be like an eater and be like the body shop. And then he turns up and um, turns into one of our mentors. It's interesting. And I love it. <laughs> I really love it that so she she obviously she's not with us anymore but the fact that um she did so much to change attitudes with her own business but also just her way of doing business is inspiring people like you who you know that's that's her legacy just goes on and on in with all these extra um fingers uh, in different places which is really amazing I, and obviously she worked with her husband I worked with my husband um you work with your sister it, it can be an amazing thing and it can be a really challenging thing how do you make it so that you work well together don't drive each other crazy and still manage to be sisters outside of work oh we've had a lot of help with that so um it's difficult because with a sister for example you generally have roles assigned to you by your parents and by the world around you and your kids um for example I was the older sensible one and she was the naughty younger one and you have a dynamics between you that are created when you're very young that a lot of people spend their whole life living out so, you know, you just kind of, again, you just repeat patterns, you repeat habits, and um, you can squabble, you can argue when you're in your 30s like you did when you were four and eight. Um, and you can just keep doing that for decades, and it's nuts. And and it's just because of something someone said when they were 12 or six or eight. or And so we, we started to be interested in that because when we were first living and working together, we were um, – we were playing out some of those old sister roles and it just didn't serve us. I mean, in this company, we needed to be equals and we needed to be partners and our very, we had very different work styles and some different ways of looking at things. And we had to cut through the sister crap and figure out how do we work together. So we, uh, we went through a lot of interesting um, 
transformation then. And then since we opened the store, we, we actually got obsessed into Hisby. I mean, totally living and breathing it and doing nothing else. And once the store opened, we had a very important stage, which was recouping and recovering, like really properly. It pretty much it pretty much took everything we had to open the store. And um, and then at that period, we had to learn how to be sisters again because we were totally obsessed with the business and it's all we could talk about and and we we now have time where we just don't talk about Hisby at all and we're just Ruth and Amy and we're our, we're sisters and but our, our um, relationship has evolved and we get help we get coaching with communicating and it's you know it's it's really been an amazing path to walk with her you know it's I, I, I don't think I could have done it with anyone else but it takes work um and it's been very very rewarding um but it's been hard as well it's so valuable to hear that though and to kind of stop and think about the relationships you have within the workplace when you have other relationships with those people as well outside of the work one and just to to think that you have to consciously pay attention to those the communication style work style and all those things I know it's been a learning curve for me and my husband for sure over the last few years um, he actually started working on the Monday after our honeymoon finished <laughs> in the in the same company. Um, yeah, it's 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 a really really important realization. So thanks for sharing that. Um, one other thing I really wanted to ask you about: you mentioned Brighton a few times. So for those people here listening who don't know where Brighton is, it's a really awesome creative city on the south coast of England. Um, just about an hour away from London, and I used to live there. Um, I remember walking past the window of Hisby before you opened and being fascinated by it and wondering what's coming. This is awesome. <laughs> I think did you have blue windows? Yeah. So uh, when we took the site on, okay, so we signed. We got the keys for this premises that we've been chasing. We got the keys in April 2013 against all the odds. We probably should never have been given it. But we got the keys and it was such a mess inside that we blewed out all the windows and put all our messaging on the windows to hide all the builders' crap behind. <laughs> and uh, we started – we didn't have all the money at the beginning, so we started doing bits of work on the site on and off between um, April and November. And um, – it was, yeah, it was just a mess. So so we put those windows up to cover it up and to have something to say. And the other thing we did is we created a little room at the front with a sofa in it. And we'd sit in there and have meetings so that people could walk by and pop in and chat. And a lot of people who became our customers got to know us by popping in and sitting on the sofa and having a chat with us. It was quite funny. That's brilliant. That's and they could, look behind the curtain. they could look behind a curtain and see what was going on behind. <laughs> it's one of the things I really loved about Brighton is that everybody has about three things going on. It, you know, nothing is ever quite what it seems. There's always a hidden curtain and something else. And it's fascinating. Yeah. I, and, and it makes me think about how important it is to try and birth our ideas in the right environment. I mean, you opened Hisby in one of the most progressive and open-minded cities in, in this country. Do you think you'd have had different challenges if you'd done it somewhere else? Yes. I mean, there are, we, we identified um, a couple of places it would work at the beginning because, I mean, whilst um, all these trends, all these good food trends and ethical consumerism are growing, they're still small. So local, I'm talking about local, local food, sustainability, fair trade or fair trading, um, all the things that our customers shop with us because they care about um, are um, – you know, you are still growing. And, and so we needed to be somewhere like this where all those things were uh, really thriving. And it was either going to be Bristol or, or Brighton, basically. And we, we chose Brighton because we just love being by the sea. And we grew up in Bath, so Bristol wasn't very, you know, Bristol was like just up the road. It didn't seem very 
didn't seem very exciting to us. But Amy had lived in Brighton and we, there's so many like-minded people here and lots of people uh, with an entrepreneurial spirit and doing things. And again, who don't get bogged down in how things are, but can see how it should be. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it's our, we, it's our home and we absolutely love it. And then we meet so many interesting people and, and yes, the shop thrives because it's, it, it is in the right place. Everything in a, with a shop, everything's about location. Um, and um, I can't imagine us being anywhere else. And that's why our, our goal over the next um, five years is to grow a chain of stores around Brighton and Hove and, and the county um, to create a local, um, resilient local chain. Uh, so that's our focus for the next few years. And then by the time, by the time um, we've done that, we believe that there'll be opportunities to roll out nationally. But I love it. It's it's so easy to go, oh, do one in each city. But actually, there's so many opportunities within the local area of somewhere like that. Um, it makes so much yeah. sense. To, you know, and, the, and, and then you can be present in really all those. Yeah. And a really important part of what we do is supporting the local um, suppliers. So it makes sense for us to open second, third, fourth, fifth store and support the same suppliers because it's scaling them up. You know, really, we're just curators of great products and stories and people. And so basically, you know, we grow hand in hand with the current same suppliers. And then by the time we've got, say, 10 stores, that that's really put those suppliers in a really solid place um, and grown their business well. And then we can move on to the next town. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. I love the Obviously, the support both in in both directions has been a massive part of of your growth i'm curious though with things like crowdfunding and um community meetings and supplier meetings and all these things that all takes up a lot of time right how do you how do you physically manage all of that because the more people you involve in something the more discussions they are and the more time it takes yeah that's true i mean we um we at the beginning did everything obviously amy and i created the brand, created the principles and the sourcing policies um, and the identity and the values and the business plan and raised the money and all of that. And then at the beginning, we also ran the store. I mean, we had um, our, our, um, our third director, Jack Simmons, who's basically now like a third sister. He, uh, <laughs> he, he, we, um, he joined us um, in August 2013 and put together our supply chain and developed all our supplier relations from our principles, which was brilliant. Um, and um, we have, the three of us had different responsibilities, but for the first 18 months of the store, Amy and Jack were on the shop floor running all the operational stuff. And I was in the back room pretty much all the time running the finance financial stuff and the bookkeeping and and um we completely switched to operational um and it took time for us over the last two years to move away from that to pull ourselves out of the business to employ enough people in the business um in the shop that they could run it themselves so now a team of 11 people are pretty self-sufficient and almost run the shop themselves um and that allows us to focus on expansion and replication that's awesome so you, you've told us a bit about the dream for hisby what's the dream for ruth ah oh, the dream for me is to be well like anita be someone that that can inspire and get the story out and raise the bar on what's possible for other people to be inspired to transform their lives and their business i mean i believe that um i believe that business can be an incredible force for good but it's got very very selfish 
over the last decades and that, you know, no business works in isolation. It always gets knitted into the fabric of a community or a society, a bunch of people, suppliers and customers and staff. And that it's just become, you know, like a profit sucking machine in a lot of cases, especially big business. So I'm really interested in this idea of transforming business for good. And so I want, you know, I want to through doing it in supermarkets, show that it can be done and inspire and help other people to do the same. And that's that's what I care about. That's what I put my life into. Well, I know for sure you're already inspiring people. You inspired me for sure. Um, and for anyone who's listening today, who what you've been saying has been the that prompt to go, you know what, you've got that idea, get on with it. For those people, I know you believe in starting before you're ready. How do you know that now is the right time now is never the right time for anything <laughs> it's never it's never it, it's it's like anything you know it's hard it's never the right time there is no right time it's just you have to do it so how do you know so, that you have you to know, do it now like you, you can't know, know anything so how do you make the decision you know when you you kind of juggling well i could do it now i could do it in six months and sometimes doing it in six months is actually a better solution if there's something that you connected that you're doing between now and six months like when what what is it in in your body in your mind that tells you today's the day because it can't happen otherwise I don't maybe I don't have the same concept of, of time but it's in six months nothing's going to be really that different if you're going to do it then you're going to do it and just start it there you go, folks. Today is the day. <laughs> a, tiny, a tiny bit every day. So there were days with Amy and I where we didn't get a lot done in a day. You know, it would be a difficult thing that we were grappling with. Or, you know, there were days where we took ourselves out and went, oh, sod it. Today we're going to go on a day trip somewhere and forget about it. And so but it's just about doing a little bit every day towards it. And so if a little bit is just making a couple of hours to think, you've got to get out of your everyday life as it is right now, because that doesn't foster creativity or thinking, you know, like, so it's about making space and time. But if, if, if you, if you've got this kind of knocking inside you, I call it, it's like someone's knocking on a door going, let me out, let me out, you should be doing something else. Then um, it's about listening to that and just starting. Um, and whether it's now or six months or two years, there's no reason to wait. There is no reason to wait. Absolutely. Ruth, thank you so much for sharing your amazing story and just the the reality of how it's been. It's so inspiring. And I know that um, others are going to remember this conversation. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much. So that's it for this time. You've been listening to me, Beth Kempton, in conversation with Ruth Anslow. You can find out more about Ruth and Hisby at hisby.co.uk. That's H-I-S-B-E dot co dot uk